Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse Podcast, Explosions and Fire. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And today on the podcast, we're talking with Twitch streamer and crafter, Chelsea the Selkie. Welcome, Chelsea. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here with you guys. We're so excited to have you. And I've been excited to ask you my first question. And I asked Aaron and he knew, but when I first saw your handle, I didn't know and still sort of barely know what is a selkie? <laughs> a selkie is a mythological creature from Celtic folklore. Typically, they're considered female or women, and they shapeshift from seals back into their female forms. However, if they lose their seal skins, they are stuck as women forever. And that's bad, I'm guessing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think they might consider that bad, yes. (laughs) However, it's good luck for the fishermen if you can find one. Oh, is this how fishermen get wives? (laughs) (laughs) Supposedly. (laughs) Suddenly it makes sense to me. (laughs) Like, you got one shot, buddy. (laughs) Yes. It's just what I've been told by my grandparents. So (laughs) so this this actually comes to you from, from family knowledge? Yes. Yeah. That's really cool. Hmm. I wonder if that's like an official thing in Scotland in the olden days of being able to have a cause for divorce for somebody stealing your seal skin. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, Your Honor, I'm a seal and uh, he's holding my skin hostage. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, stranger things have happened. (laughs) So tell us, why didn't you first get into tabletop role playing games? Very recently, actually, only about two years ago. And I'm kind of ashamed to say I only know to play D&D 5th edition, but hopefully when I get more comfortable with mechanics, I'll start to branch out a little bit and explore some other systems. I do want to say, I don't think there should be any shame in that whatsoever. So Aaron is a long time old school guy, but I only got into it a couple of years ago as well. Like I was obsessed with it when I was a kid, but I sort of just got into it. And one of the things that Aaron and I really fight against is this vibe of like gatekeeping. Like if you Mm -hmm. haven't done it forever, then you suck and I'm cooler than you. And I very much reject that. So I think it's really amazing that you're new to the hobby and that you're so into it. That's so cool. Yeah, I definitely love the storytelling aspect of role-playing games. They're so versatile in that you can kind of adapt it to any story that you want to tell. So I just kind of jumped right in and tried to catch up to more lore than I could ever possibly imagine. And <laughs> hopefully I'll get to explore that in other systems as well. You know, I, I'm curious, uh, did, so do you play much or are you mostly doing a lot of the the actual storytelling or uh, dungeon mastering? Lately, it has been more of the game master side of things, mm-hmm. but I do try to get to play as much as I can as well. Cool. Do you have a a recent or a favorite character that you've created, indie that you've played, or even I'll, I'll even accept a, an NPC that you're particularly proud of that you've um, come up with? Okay, I think that will be a little easier if I do NPC. Um, no surprise, this one was a homebrewed character based on the Stalky race. I was hoping you were going to say that, so thank yes. you. For saying. <laughs> Um, the minute you all said NPC, I was like, oh, I know what I have to say now. Got it. So 
Inaris Dillon started out as a character. And when that campaign unfortunately fizzled out, I sort of kept her going and plugged her in as that go-to when all else fails Gandalf character that you throw into the campaign to sort of redirect the party. Even during a one shot, she can kind of just pop up out of nowhere and be like, hey guys, remember <laughs> that way. <laughs> All right, idiots. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Follow me. <laughs> yeah. And so, so does she, is she, oh, sorry, I guess you were going to go here, but I'm just curious, like, do, does she get to be in both forms? She does, yes. So what's kind of fun about how I wrote the culture is their communication and their magic is all about music. And mm. so she can communicate through that form, whether it's in her humanoid or her steel form. And so I can kind of use that a little bit to redirect the party. If she's given them a clue, either as music or even poetry, and they hear that again later, I can kind of give that as like a, hey guys, remember, we're supposed to be doing this. And this is what our Gandalf character, our Neris, wanted us to be doing. It can hopefully kind of clue them in that this is the right way to go or danger, maybe stop, redirect, try again before we get into something a little too scary for our level. You're like, guys, you know, the Selkie told you not to go down that corridor, but like, if you want to, that's fine. But she's probably going to be disappointed, you know, <laughs> yes, exactly. if you all turn up dead tomorrow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, now, have you have you homebrewed the mechanics? And I, I I heard you reference the race. Like, have you have you kind of like worked this out? Yeah. So for her, everything is completely homebrewed, from mechanics to special racial features. I built everything from scratch, and over the past year or so, I keep kind of tweaking things as we go, as I've noticed that wow, that feat really doesn't work the way I wanted it to. The first time I tried her charming song feat, it like completely bombed. So the idea was that when she's singing, she can kind of lure and charm things the way a siren might do it, but not with the intent of harming, more helping. And the first time I tried to write that out, that idea, it did not quite work the way it was intended to. So we've kind of had to tweak things over the years. And luckily I've had friends to guide me as I am still learning mechanics. And sometimes I have the idea in my head. I can't quite put it down on paper in a way that makes sense in a game. And I, that's normal though, right? Aaron's like playtesting. That's how you figure out. Oh yeah, for sure. Anyway, right? Yeah. So I think one of the other things that really stood out for us with a lot of what you're doing is a lot of your art. So can you tell us a little bit about your art and kind of what brought you into watercolor specifically? Yeah, I was very fortunate that my mom got me into art classes fairly young, but I didn't really clue in art to Dungeons and Dragons or role-playing games until about a year ago or so. Uh, one of my characters went through something pretty traumatic. And at the time, I was still kind of learning about character bleed and how that can affect us as players. And so unfortunately, that meant that I started to go through that traumatic experience myself because I was not 
really separating myself from my character mm-hmm. in a healthy way. And so I went back to painting and used that as a way to sort of disentangle myself from my character and work through some of those emotions. And after a while, I realized I was having a lot of fun using painting or any other mediums to sort of bring to life things I was experiencing as a player and even as a game master in different game sessions. So I just sort of kept going and kept creating different illustrations and watercolors. And a year later, we're still doing it and still having fun. So hopefully we get to do it for a lot longer. That's, That's awesome. great. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, for those of you who are listening, I know we'll put up some links later. But Chelsea does have a, a wonderful uh, Etsy store where she sells a lot of these uh, wonderful watercolors and other art that she does. And I've picked some up too; they look really great. But they're well worth taking a look at if you like, you know, role playing and you like a lot of different watercolor. They're really great. So, and Chelsea, I love that you mentioned the the, the concept of character bleed. But something that I'm really interested in, and and Aaron and I have been working on getting somebody onto the show that can talk to us from more of a clinical perspective, but the therapeutic applications of role-playing games, I think are just very, as a layperson, very apparent to me as, you know, kind of what you just talked about as well, when something awful happens or something amazing happens, and you can just sort of feel that it it resonates and connects with your own self as the player in a way that's hard to quantify and hard to understand. But I feel that a lot when I play and when I DM, right? Like as I'm guiding people through these these scenarios and then something really exceptional happens. So I love that. And I do, I agree with you. There's, that's a really beautiful component of the game that I want to learn more about. And I love that you've incorporated art in that process as well. Yeah, thank you. I'm definitely still learning um, as part of that process. I didn't quite know what character bleed was at the time. I just kind of had a basic understanding that I was somehow getting tangled up with my character. And later, her friend at a convention kind of clued me into what that term even meant. And so I'm still doing research myself, and I would love to hear from an expert if you are all able to bring one onto your podcast that can share more insight into that, because it's definitely very interesting how role-playing can clue into our emotions and help us with our storytelling. I've had a couple of interactions with folks. One is a, a veterans group that uses role-playing games for therapeutic purposes. And then there's actually a group called Geek Therapeutics, and they certify therapists in being a game master with like actual clinical hours and things like that. So hopefully yeah. we'll, we'll be able to get that component going soon because I just it's just really fascinating to me. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, one of the things, I mean, we, we haven't really talked about character bleed much on the podcast, but it is very much a real thing that you deal with as, as a game master. I think a lot of is being sensitive to that especially when it comes to things like such strong things as character deaths or understanding how to incorporate what people enjoy as characters that's something that i've kind of always been cognizant of because this is something people do take very seriously and it's very hard to separate yourself at at times something something that you really enjoy so yeah it's it's really good that you brought that up yeah and would this be moments too where like i'm thinking of a couple uh players that i played with where they're 
their emotion that's feeding into their role play seems so is coming from a really deep place that has nothing to do with their character and has nothing to do with the game that we're playing. Yes. Yeah. And it's kind of like you, you can just sort of feel this moment of like, ooh, okay. This just <laughs> got real heavy <laughs> real fast. Yeah, definitely. Some amazing stories come out of that, but you definitely wonder where all the emotion is coming from. And um, I always like to check in with them afterwards just to make sure that they're doing okay. And were there any deeper emotions going on in there that they might want to talk about? Because sometimes there's some amazing actors out there and you never quite know if that was mm -hmm. a hidden emotion we might have tapped into or right. they are just really good thespians and brought us all along with them on their journey. Yeah, that's a good point. They could be like, no, that's just what my character would have done. Or they might just start sobbing. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah. So my next question for you, Chelsea, is how did you get into the live streaming component? Because to me, playing the game, you, you know, becoming a, a dungeon master, that seems really organic. The artwork, I love that. But then live streaming, like how did that even happen? Yeah, I had a friend who was a Twitch streamer and she sort of dared me to try it one day. And I was like, well, you know, it's winter break. I don't really have anything going on right now. I might as well try it and just see what happens. So I did and I had a lot of fun. And at the time I was only doing it kind of as tales of adventure where I'm kind of painting and telling a story at the same time. And when I did it back then, I was trying to paint live and tell the story. And that was kind of an insane way to try to do it. I've <laughs> totally changed things because that was just, it was sort of like patting your head and rubbing your belly at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it stresses me out just to hear you describe yeah, right. it to try to do it. <laughs> I'm stressed out thinking about it. <laughs> Kudos to you for being so ambitious, though. I mean, man. <laughs> yes. So when we do it now, we'll either do just a live art <laughs> or I'll paint beforehand and then I'll sort of put up like a slideshow and we'll tell a story together. So it's a little more yeah. controlled environment than it used to be. <laughs> but yes. That's how that's kind of evolved over the last 10 months or so. <laughs> <laughs> and something that I love, and I think advantage of you being new to the hobby, is that you're taking it in different directions than, than I've ever seen before. And I think that's really amazing. And what I think fresh blood and new influences can have you know, such a great effect on the hobby. And so another thing that I wanted to ask you about is your, the format of your live play is really unique and it's not something that I've ever seen before. So I wonder if you could, I know you talked about how you sort of arrived at it, but if you could just sort of describe like your live play um, and your feed and, you know, just like how, how that whole thing goes down and how, how you conceived of that. I'm trying to think back here to a year ago or so when I first wanted to do tales of adventure, I was just sort of thinking about how much I was enjoying illustrating our stories each week when we were doing game sessions, whether as a player or as a game master. And then I was thinking, wouldn't it be fun to share that with other people? 
maybe it's just me and a couple of friends rehashing all stories together and laughing and people in the chat going, hey, I remember. And do you remember when this happened with the owl bear or remember the trap that nearly killed us all with that fireball or something like that. And it's all just sort of laughing together at the table and telling a story. And I'm sitting there painting whatever we end up coming up with. And it kind of influences what I'm doing live. And that's kind of part of why I tried to paint live is I thought it would influence the art while I was working. And that turned out to be way too insane to try to do that all at once. But it was an idea in my head that kind of was cool at the time. And over time, we did create some cool stories. We even had a whole character arc going on there with twisted fairy tales gone wrong. It was kind of fun. And fast forward, I got extremely burned out. And part of that was with the whole patting your head and rubbing your belly at the same (laughs) time. It doesn't really work long term. And so coming back with fresh eyes into the school year, I was like, okay, what if I had help? (laughs) And so take two, I've been bringing a guest on with me every time that I do this. And so this time we're just sort of telling a tale together and I'll create little watercolor illustrations to use sort of as our handouts. No maps, but sometimes we do use the dice and we'll create kind of a mini one-shot story together. And I always ask that our audience participate, throw in some ideas because you never know, it might change the traps or the monsters or where the story's going to go. Maybe we'll go in a cave. Maybe now it's inside somewhere else, you know, whatever the audience likes. At one point, they actually saved the NPC because they decided they deserved all of this healing. So I created a <laughs> magical river just for them. <laughs> so sometimes it's fun just to see where things go. And that's kind of how things have evolved over the past few months and we'll see if it keeps evolving maybe we'll bring back a story arc maybe we'll just cause more chaos who knows <laughs> <laughs> that's great so maybe this is like the one semi gotcha question i promise it's not that bad mm-hmm. so what is what is your favorite style of art and how does that end up into your own creations okay not too much of a gotcha question actually i've always really I loved Impressionism, mm. particularly oils, mm-hmm. which may sound strange because I don't actually work in oils at all. <laughs> I've tried, but it, between the glasses and the dyslexia and everything else, I just can't quite get my depth the way that I would need to, to truly master oils, but I can appreciate it and everything that those masters do. And I just love the way the textures kind of play with each other and the way that even when you're looking at an impressionist painting up close, and I know that you're not meant to, is a distance appreciation painting, but you can see the way that they've layered their pigments creates a kind of image in and of itself, its own almost secondary impression of what they were trying to capture. And I just think that's kind of beautiful. And I sometimes try to do that with the watercolors as well. They don't really stack the way oils do. But if you were ever to kind of run your hands over the watercolors, 
clean, gentle hands, please. But uh, (laughs) you'll feel the bumps and ridges that I've kind of used to sort of bring out that concept of these trees are in the foreground or the middle ground. And then there's layers and there's textures to that too as well. And this wash, it's deep, it's far, it's back. These mountains, you can't really see them. You're not going to feel that on the paper. And that's kind of just all from the appreciation of oils and all those impressionist artists that I've always loved since I was really little. That's great. That's so cool. Okay. I had a thought here. I'm going to try this. We'll see if it flies. (laughs) Um, Okay. So impressionism, as you said, is meant to be viewed from a distance. But if you do look close, there's a certain joy that you can derive and appreciation from the mechanics. And I think that that's true with almost anything. So I have two examples. One of them, of course, is role-playing games, right? Like the sweeping arc of a campaign is so amazing, but you can also get into the crunchiness of combat and and appreciate it for what it is and how that structure allows you to continue forward. And the other example, which I think Aaron will vibe with, is film. Mm -hmm. So you can sit in a movie theater and just be swept away, right? And a lot of people even caution you, like, don't, don't think about it too much. But if you get into the lighting and the music and the acting and the direction and the mise-en-scene and all these things, you can still appreciate it for all of its complexities. And it's exactly the same thing, right? Yes. I'm relieved that 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 worked. I'm so glad that you said that because sometimes when I'm building encounters, I do tend to almost overthink and get too nitty gritty. But I do think of it in that sense of like, lighting and staging and building a scene from a theatrical perspective. And sometimes that nitty gritty can help build that foreshadowing and that storytelling a little bit. And even sometimes we don't see it until for several sessions later and we look back and we go, oh, I really did create this really cool arc from that one small moment. And it's that nitty gritty that kind of helped create something like that. It's really cool how things will just sort of fall into place like dominoes kind of creating their mm-hmm. own beautiful mosaic. Yeah. yeah. A couple of weeks ago, Aaron talked to me about metal music and how it can really influence and is kind of like linked to the themes of D&D. And this reminds me of that too, because he had talked about if he's, if he's riding a, a baddie or he's creating a scene, sometimes he'll just put on a song that's like evoking the right vibe. And I think that can be a great starting point for something is a mm-hmm. feeling. And I love, and I've never heard it from a art perspective before. So thank you for bringing that to the table. But yeah, just like looking at a painting or listening to a piece of music that helps evoke the feeling that you're going for. And a lot of times that's all you need as a launch pad, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think of it a lot like when you're a game master, it's very much what like Michelangelo said about the Pieta, where as he's carving away the rock, the Pieta already exists. He's just essentially making it show up. So that's very much what it's like to game master as well. And also watercolor and anything else you want to do with art. The the form's already there in your mind. You're just making it appear for everyone else. Yes, agreed. Get rid of all the noise. Yeah, I like that. It's cool. So, okay, maybe this one's more challenging. What should we have asked you but didn't? That is a hard one. (laughs) Or we can even soften it a little bit and say, what else do you want to talk about? What else do you want 
our listeners to know about your work or yourself or us to know about that? Oh, gosh. I guess really just that storytelling can come from anywhere. And though I tend to approach things a lot from my training and background with art and theater, if you grew up as a musician, like you mentioned with heavy metal and using music to inspire your, your training or your programming and building, use that as your guide in your storytelling, whether you're a game master or a player, maybe you were a dancer, you can use that or an athlete. Movement and motion is a huge part of storytelling, especially with role-playing games, combat and how we interact. Um, I know a lot of different groups will talk a lot about how serving in the military can be a huge asset when you're joining a role table game because you have an understanding of tactics and teamwork. Use that as an advantage in your storytelling. What? I've never even thought of that before. That's amazing. You just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, my dad's a Marine, so I sometimes think about these things in interesting different ways. But, if I can, yeah. does, does he play D&D? He does not know. Okay. I have not yet won him over. <laughs> right. Well, good luck with that. But I was just thinking like, oh my gosh, I would love to have a military person talk to me about that. That would be so cool. That's yeah. great. Well, outside of that, I mean, it's it's been lovely talking to you. For our listeners, we'll put up some information on it, not only for all of her her great store, but then also her Twitch stream. And I also will be on her Twitch stream on November 25th. So after you are done gorging yourself on your Thanksgiving feast, uh, we will be going live that Saturday evening. Oh, and I'll be in the chat on that one for sure. <laughs> oh, yes, please. There's going to be a very amazing character on that night. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait. And then also, can I just say, I think I would love to see more of the Selkie homebrew mm. race. Like if, if, I don't know if you've like made that widely available, Chelsea, but that seems like such a cool thing, especially now with 5e kind of being out on creative commons and things like that, like to, to be able to provide that for folks because it's really captivated my imagination. And that actually, when you had described it's like harpies, but they're actually just trying to help you. That's kind of how <laughs> I thought about it too. You know what I mean? It's like this song and it's like harpies are so terrifying. But I, I love that idea of there's this like benevolent force at work that sometimes fishermen are taking advantage of, apparently. <laughs> hey, we all have a dark side, even fishermen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, that might end up in Monster of the Week pretty soon, a Selkie monster in there. That'd be pretty good. So That would be so. amazing, actually. <laughs> like they just stumble upon a, a, a fursuit and it's like, wait, what is this? <laughs> so cool. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a true pleasure to have you on the show. And we love what you're doing. We're such huge fans. Thank you for having me. I've had a lot of fun. Good. Excellent. Well, Aaron, I can't wait to uh, be in the chat and, and watch you guys do your thing. And thanks to our listeners for being with us this week. And as always, please check us out on our Instagram or at our website, infernalschoolhouse.com. Oh, and we sell stuff on Etsy, too. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.